for the Embrace the Ground podcast. Today I interview my good friend Nick Ercolano from the Big Dogs Fantasy Football YouTube channel brand business. We literally are talking about how he built a business from his bedroom. A simple YouTube channel turned into a fantasy football empire and he's right here to talk about all his endeavors within that and what is next to come. So I hope you enjoy. You can find all his links down below and let's get into it. Alrighty, welcome back in. Today we have a very special interview uh, on the dock for episode four of the Embrace the Grind podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, obviously it's not under the Embrace the Grind, but still uh, you can go down below and the podcast link will be there if you'd rather listen to the audio. So like I said, very special guest. Today we have uh, Nick Ercolano, the the chief of the big dogs, the, the big dog, I guess you could say. I think I called animal that though, so I might, might have lied to him maybe. Um, Physically, yeah, he takes the title. <laughs> uh, but we're just going to go over really uh, about your business and I'll have you intro all that. This interview and you um, kind of just behind the scenes look at, um, I guess the title of this is building a business from your bedroom. So how you built a business from your bedroom. So take it away, introduce yourself, uh, where you went to school, your business, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my name is Nick Ercolano. Thank you for, for having me. I uh, started a YouTube channel a long time ago, and I have since built it into, I guess, a business. And it did, in fact, start in my bedroom. So we are definitely taking that to heart. Um, so I started it when I was maybe 21 or 22. And I never really looked at it as like a business. It was, you know, as anyone would, you'd start an Instagram account or a Twitter account or whatever. That was just what it was. Um, I was young. I was probably maybe still on the back end of college or I might've just graduated undergrad from, uh, from Marist college. I did a degree in business there, international business for my undergrad. And I got out of school and I started, you know, kind of getting in the headspace that most kids do when they get out of school, they realize that, okay, I can't just, if I want to be happy, you know, if I want to be passionate about something, I can't just settle for the path that's you know, most of us, um, I've, I've, you know, a lot of people within our space, like yourself and, and your team around there, my team have, have come and gone through uh, a lot of the same paths, I want to say, like not spoon fed most of the life, but the paths have been pretty laid out for you. And we've been very fortunate that we've had a lot of choices that are difficult for a lot of people kind of given to us. So I got to a point where I was like, yeah, I'm really passionate about like this fantasy football thing. And I had thought about um, starting to create some content around it because I genuinely was like, oh, I could help people out with this. I feel like I'm pretty good. So I started blogging. And uh, before I knew it, there was like a little bit of organic traction on the blogging. You know, I started dipping my feet into like Google Analytics. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. You're not born with this kind of technical mm-hmm. skill set, you know. So um, I, I kept doing it. And I was just like, you know, I, I'd rather go on camera. I feel way more comfortable doing videos and getting my point across because I think like context behind everything is, is super, super important um, in real life as well as conveying your message via con- uh, video or whatever it is, right? So I, I just felt more comfortable interacting with an audience uh, when I was able to actually talk to them and they were able to see me. So I started doing YouTube videos and they started getting a little bit of or tra- organic traffic on their own. And I didn't take it seriously for a while. I did you know a couple videos the first summer and then a handful more the next summer. And uh, by that time we had like 600 or 700 subscribers. And I was like, why the fuck do we have 700 subscribers when I put out like five videos throughout the whole year? So I was like, if I double down on this, you know, and if I start taking this super seriously, maybe I can turn this into a business. Cause at this time I had graduated from Marist, my undergrad business degree. I planned on going to grad school. 
Um, but I realized that like I needed to take my MBA or I needed to take the, uh, the GMAT and I wasn't prepared for that. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll push that off until next semester and I will start getting some like real actual work experience in, um, in a business setting or, you know, any kind of like entry level setting. So I ended up taking an entry level job at some business and left that within the eight months to take another one, another one, another one. And I ended up doing uh, grad school at Binghamton for marketing analytics. And I have been doing the, the YouTube stuff uh, at a much less serious degree than I am right now, but that had always been on the side. And I'd always wanted a reason to kind of jump off and do something on my own. And this was, this was a passion that I, I thought long-term I could turn into a full-time thing. But at the time, I, I was making no money doing it. But I always felt like I was savvy enough that if I put my full energy and passion behind it, like I'd, I'd figure it out along the way. So one of the last jobs that I had was at a marketing agency. Um, so it was probably my third full-time job. I was at a marketing agency and I jumped to another one. So was, I had like four or five full-time jobs by the time I was, how old are you, Lucas? 20. You're 20. Okay. So by the time I was, I was out of college, obviously, but by the time I was maybe 22 or 23, I had like five or six full-time jobs. Just nothing really suited me well. Right. And I loved working at the marketing agencies. Those were like the funnest things for me in terms of like an actual corporate job, because you've got to be a little bit creative and you got to actually um, think outside the box a little bit. And the last job I was at, I was finally learning a skill where I was like, I could probably flip this into money if I did it on my own, right? It was doing the social media marketing. So those sponsored posts that you see on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, I would make those for some of the companies that we worked with. And I was like, this was before those things were really popular. Like not a lot of companies were running Instagram ads. So I was like, I learned a skill that not a lot of places know how to do. Let me branch off. Let me leave my corporate job so that I could do this on the side. And actually make money from it while pursuing content as like the long-term gain. So I wasn't making money when I decided to actually leave my job yet from fantasy stuff. That only came after I opened up a lot more like time and flexibility within my schedule to actually put focus towards it. And then kind of unrolled it into, into what it is now. And now, you know, we're just trying to um, put out content as often as we can, as high quality as we can. And is fortunately turned into a, a business stemming from a passion, stemming from my fucking mom's bedroom. For sure. Yeah, that, so that, that was a big breakdown of all that. So we can try to dissect that the best uh, we possibly can. So yeah, sorry if that was super long winded. Feel good. free to edit, edit any of that out. No, it was good. It was definitely a good uh, description, I think. So prior to, so you made the YouTube channel, obviously, or else you wouldn't be where you're at today. But before that was kind of like you, you were set on, say, like a marketing agency or like set on a marketing job. Was that kind of like your your vision, you could say, for how I don't want to say how you live the rest of your life, but where you thought you'd be working for the rest of your life, I guess. Uh, honestly, no, I don't even think I like knew marketing or liked marketing when I first got into a marketing job. I just knew that, I don't know, marketing is like a buzzword nowadays, in, in, especially in college, you think of marketing now and it probably, um, you probably think of something fun. Like it's, it feels like something creative. I don't think that was the way I thought about it when I was younger. I got into an entry level job and then I got offered another position where like the commute was better and the money was better. So I was like, okay, I'll jump into that. I fucking hated it. And I left within like six weeks. And then I ran across a job opening that was at a marketing agency. It was very like entry level. It wasn't like I was working on designs or actually running anything like creative whatsoever. But it was in a really fun company that did a lot of fun stuff. And that opened my eyes to what marketing was. I had no experience in marketing prior to that outside of just like organic marketing. And I, at, the, at that point, I still didn't even really know what it was. Like you guys know way more about like the social space at your age than I did when I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I cared. I don't know if what I was doing eventually opened my eyes to it. But once I got in that first marketing agency, I was like, this is fun. Like I want to level up in this and 
figure out like where my space is in this and like what I can do in this because it's such a, a cool blend of creativity and analytics. And those are two things that I'm super passionate about. So the first marketing agency actually I was doing like what they call media buying. And that's a very basic level entry position at a marketing company. And the company I was working at got bought by another company, like a big marketing agency came in, they bought the company and they let go of a lot of people and they started restructuring how the business was going to work. And all the positions got like moved around. So I was no longer a media buyer. I remember they called me into the office one day and the, my boss was like, Hey, what do you think about running like social media ads for some of our clients? And at that time, I don't think anyone within the company was doing that. And I was like, fuck yeah, like social media is getting big. You know, it's like, again, another buzzword that can get you excited as a younger person. So I started running these Facebook ads for uh, the clientele was like higher education. So we were running ads for colleges and universities and things like that. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And the people that I worked with at the company weren't doing it either. So they didn't know what the fuck they were doing either. So they let me throw around a bunch of money. Um, and I eventually moved from that agency, which was in New Jersey to a one in Manhattan. And that's where I started kind of like honing my skills and learning a lot more about uh, marketing agencies that work with bigger clientele, like fortune 500. And I started running campaigns within that agency for like Twitter, Facebook, and, and those kind of social platforms. And that's where I started to get a little bit more confidence in my actual technical skills. And I was like, yo, this is like really, really cool shit. Like this is how you build a business. This is marketing nowadays. And at that time I had simultaneously been building up my YouTube channel. So I was starting to learn a little bit more about the organic side of things while also getting a glimpse into the paid side of things, which is the, the portion of business that most people coming from where you're coming from and where I was coming from, don't get a glimpse into that. So they don't, it, it's very helpful to, to understand how big companies operate on a paid traffic budget uh, as compared to organic, like organic is great, but if you can't depend on that, you know, you have to start pivoting towards paid. So I got a cool blend of, of, uh, of both of them. And, and, you know, it just started opening my eyes to all different types of marketing. And by that time I was fucking hooked. Okay. So do you think, like, do you think, um, obviously you're not at the companies anymore. Do you think that's something that like they fully use? Like, I think, I don't know. It's hard to gauge because there's so much advertisements everywhere with everything. It's hard to gauge really like what actually works. Um, and obviously you'd have more of an insight in that. So do you think that's something that companies should work on even more now, especially because I was what, six, five, six years ago when you were doing that, do you still think that's like a, uh, uh, lack of a company you could say for some companies? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, back then I saw it like the return on ad spends. I was like, why, why, why is nobody seeing like the, seeing what I'm looking at? Like we're looking at the mm -hmm. same shit and you can't see that the results are right there. Like Facebook advertising nets you three to four times in revenue. What fucking programmatic banner, like the, the fucking ads that pop up on a website that no one, like we're, we're programmed as humans not to even see those fucking pop-up ads on the side. You know what I mean? So with like Facebook and with these new types of advertising, it unlocked a whole level of, of targeting within marketing that is, is, was unheard of at the time. Like within the reason Facebook is, is, is made of so much money is worth so much money is because they have everyone's information. And when you have that information and you let advertisers use it, you can target literally like with a programmatic, with a banner ad, you could only be like, I want to put it on sports websites. Right. And that was it. Like you just threw it out there and hope that it resonated with someone with Facebook targeting, Instagram targeting, you could literally be like, I only want to show this ad on Instagram to 22 to 25 year olds mm -hmm. that live in fucking Ohio that are Ohio state fans that drive a Mazda. And they know this because Facebook is partnered with 
every company in the fucking world. And that's why they've had so many privacy issues because they have so much information about. So it becomes so targeted. And the fact that like companies couldn't understand that back then was a glaring hole. And the other, the other problem is with big companies, um, you tend to move extremely slowly. You have to go through all these fucking loopholes. You have to go yeah. through the managers and even like entry level, like myself, if I'm putting an opinion out there when we're getting a $2 million budget for the quarter, like, I have six managers above me that would not even bat an eye at the things I'm saying. So within like corporate America right now, the structure of, of a lot of things is just completely fucked up. So yeah, they miss out on a lot of it. And that's why it's fun being a small brand because I could wake up tomorrow and be like, all right, fuck it. We're putting half our budget into mm. Instagram marketing tomorrow. We're going to stop doing fucking Twitter. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the difference. And that's why we're seeing a lot of these like one-off niche brands starting to win and, and chop into the monopoly that big companies were. Yeah, I totally agree. I started, I started my, my internship this summer, like my first real job, you could say. And I definitely see and I'm a part of like the, the process of, it's just a lot, lot. like I, whenever I have an idea, just like you said, like, boom, I can do it. But now it's like, you have to get this verification, this verification, stuff like that. So I think that's definitely, yeah, that's huge room for improvement, I think. And the whole pop-up banner is like, I have ad blocker on every single thing I possibly can because it just wastes time. And I never use those. I don't, I don't really know what the, the return on that would be for sure. And yeah, big if, waste if of time. Advertising. I mean, whether it's the way I look at it is like, if you're going to advertise, if you're going to put money into it or organic, if what you're doing doesn't give value to the customer, if it only pisses them off, then you're doing it wrong. Like mm -hmm. everything you do, see, if you're going to run a paid advertisement, like if I'm going to run Instagram ads, it better be a good fucking video in which the person watches it and is like, yo, that was cool. That was information I didn't know. It shouldn't be something like popping in your face, hoping that they accidentally click the fucking ad because their fingers are too fat. You know what I mean? Like America was thinking backwards for a while. And yeah. now we're seeing the people who are good at giving value straight to you are the ones who are winning in business. Mm -hmm, for sure. So then uh, that was about like, obviously you coming into your marketing degree. And then you mm -hmm. said that you were kind of doubling up, um, obviously with the marketing and with uh, big dogs, the YouTube channel. So kind of when you touched on when you sort of switched full time, but what details kind of made you think I might need to switch? Was it people's influence? Was it lack of people's influence? Stuff like that? Um. It was, it, it was, it was weird. It was like, uh, when I was at that last job I had, it was cool. Like I enjoyed what we were doing, but I, I didn't want to do it for anyone else anymore. It was like a long, a, a long process. I get, I guess to get to the feeling that I had, like I got to a point where I was just like, dude, I can't do this day in and day out. Like I'm not happy investing so much. You know, when you work full time, especially that's another reason why like college kids right out of school, their lives change fucking dramatically because you put so I think people underestimate just how much time you put mm -hmm. into a fucking full-time working job it's your entire day you have to base your life around that job and I got to a point where after a couple of years I was like I'm not happy with this and I've been working hard enough to know that if I did put my energy elsewhere I think good things would happen and if not like I'm, I'm smart enough to be able to get back into a marketing job in a year if it doesn't work out so I got to a point where I was at my last job where I was like yeah, I, f I fucking hate this. Like I can't, I can't go on doing this or something like bad is going to happen. I don't know what would have happened, but like there was, there was a suffocation inside of me that was like, Nick, you have to try it out on your own. So, um, it, yeah, it wasn't necessarily one thing or another. It was just, uh, th this, th something inside of me telling me like, you, you got to get out of here, you know? Mm. And you don't have to go into like super detail if you don't want to, but like was, I know you've mentioned it on your vlogs and stuff before, but was the, I guess you could say support there or was it at the time? Like, Cause even now I think it's like weird for people to like do what you're doing. It's not, 
like how do you do that and survive type thing so back then i'm assuming was it worse back then you think or how did that sort of work out it was um people most people to this day like have still have no fucking idea what i'm like some of my closest friends wouldn't be able to explain to people what i do mm -hmm. uh and, and i think like only a couple people could probably do that successfully back then I was still living at my mom's house. So I'm not actually sure. Like I always had support from my friends because they knew like they knew who I am now was who I was back then. But to the outside world, if you didn't know me, you didn't know I had a, this type of drive or you didn't know I had this type of like experience or privy in marketing, right? That I would get to that spot. So I guess people could have looked outside and been like, oh, he quit his job. He's trying to be like an entrepreneur and he's living at his mom's house. So I'm sure there were some voices like that and, and people like that. But overwhelmingly, yeah, it was pretty, um, it was pretty positive in terms of like the feedback I got from people. Like my friends were always like, yo, this is really fucking dope what you're doing. My mom was always like, I support you as long as you're happy, uh, be smart. And she just, you know, had confidence in me. So I would say it's, um, it's gotten to a point now where I'm just like, I don't, I don't even like know how to explain what I do anymore, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I can't say I'm definitely will never introduce myself as like an influencer. I even feel weird saying like a business owner. I still say something like, yeah, I have uh, you know, I I'm in marketing or like, you know, have you ever played fantasy football? I have like a podcast around fantasy football. And then if they're interested in knowing more then I can kind of break it down, but it's definitely in a, it's still a weird thing for me. It's definitely still a weird thing for me. I think people have obviously seen that I've had a little bit of success. So if there was any like weird feelings in the beginning um, about me doing it, then I'm sure they've like, okay, like whatever he's doing is working, but I still don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely not, uh, not a dinner table topic. I think, and you've mentioned that before, uh, I think in a couple of your vlogs about your grandparent, like well, the last one we don't yeah. like, the, but you're like, my grandpa can't do my taxes. Cause like, he doesn't know what to do type things and stuff like that's definitely it's real it definitely is real especially yeah. when you openly admit it um and you're that big for sure so obviously you went full-time and you were growing the channel growing the channel um kind of when was the because then you moved into an apartment and the new hq when was like the when did you like see that like this was big this was like growing into where i can move out i can hire people i can do all these things kind of how did that sort of play out um well i moved yeah so i moved out of jersey into brooklyn last year and that was like my first like real leap where i was like okay financially i have to make this work if i want to continue to live the way that i want to live uh that that like click button in my head went off probably like midway through last summer like i knew we were going to do well and we had grown year over year but I hadn't, I hadn't really been looking at my, my taxes or my accounting stuff, right? Like I, I keep pretty close eye on income and expenses and things like that. And there was like a point in the summer, I think maybe in like June or July. And I had projected, I remember I did a video where I was doing projections for the following year. And I was like, you know, like best case scenario, we hit like 80,000. And when you're like 23 or 24, you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of, that's a big fucking salary, right? Like that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So I put that as the max projection and, um, and I was like, yeah, it'd be amazing if we hit that. I thought that would be like the coolest thing ever. And I'm, I'm looking at my accounting thing and I'm like, yo, this has to be, this like can't be right because my income had added up to over a hundred, like I hit a hundred K like midway through the summer. And I was like, holy shit, like we're really, like we're really doing it. You know what I mean? Like this is really happening right now. And, uh, and, and things just kept going really well. And uh, we hit our stride throughout the summer and sales kept coming in and we ended up doing a lot of business last year. And for the first time I was like, yeah, like this is, you know, it's no longer like livable money. It's, it's, 
it's money where you need to be doing something with it. You need to start mm-hmm. investing back into it. So it came, but last summer was probably like the real, uh, you know, the gears in my head turning like, okay, you know, I've always, I always knew I would get to this point. Maybe I didn't think it would be this early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely, it was very, I mean, I guess for people listening, I, I don't want to say manage your YouTube and podcast, but like I can see the numbers too. I don't like stock them or anything, but like I could see the views and I could see the growth and it was definitely very like snap your fingers and it just shot up. And I think it's the credit to the hard work that you've put in uh, for sure has definitely reflected that. Um, so as it was growing, uh, we can talk about as many sponsors as you're allowed to talk about kind of how did that sort of dynamic play out in terms of did they come out to you? Did you reach out to them sort of because that, that applies to all businesses kind of um, sponsorships and affiliates and stuff. So how did that sort of start maybe maybe your first one up until now how did that play out um i think the the first sponsor we ever had was like was the company fantasy jocks who i wrote their blog section for their website for a while as i was just starting to get into like fantasy content and then when i left the job i put a vlog out saying like i'm gonna do facebook and instagram marketing as like a freelance marketer um, and do fantasy stuff on the side. And the the guy who owns fantasy jocks reached out to me and he was like, Oh, I watch your vlogs. Like we've been working together for a while. I'd love to give you a chance to run the campaign for us. So I was running their Instagram, Facebook ads. Um, that was my first client marketing wise. And then we kind of did like a dual contract where it was like, okay, you'll sponsor my videos and I'll run this and you know, it'll be the X number of dollars. So that was like the first real one I think I ever had. Um, and then since then, I mean, we've, I've gotten reached out to by a lot of companies, obviously. Uh, most of them, 95% of them are not like good fits or they're looking to completely, like they see a content creator and you don't assume that someone comes from like a marketing background. So you kind of just throw out like a shit number. Um, and if that's the case, I'm always like, okay, they're not even, they're probably not worth even talking to. Uh, the, other, the other partnerships, um, I've been pretty tight knit with, with the people that I work with. It needs to be something that I think is extremely valuable to the audience. It needs to be something that's extremely natural. So like last summer we worked with TeamStake. Um, that's like the buy-in platform because that was something, I'm a commissioner of a lot of leagues and I'm like, dude, collecting money, Venmo, PayPal, cash between four different leagues, between people that live everywhere in different platforms. I'm like, it's a fucking nightmare. I was like, okay, TeamStake. I, I, I want to say I reached out to TeamStake initially, and then we got discussions going on the sponsorship. I was like, yo, like there are a lot of people that have the same problem as me, and I could pitch this to my audience because I'm feeling the same fucking pain that they would feel when I pitch it. So that was a natural fit. Um, and then was partnered with um, mo- most of them, either they reached out and they're like, we saw your YouTube video. We think we could work together or I'll go out of my way because I do think it's a natural fit. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give them, I'll, I'll shoot them an email. That's like very broken down. Like this is the value I can offer to you. This is what I would like to see in return I'm open for negotiations, but like, let's get on a call to discuss further. Um, so if you have, I mean, if you have any specific in mind, I can go into detail, but otherwise I'll, I'll end up sitting here for like forever yeah. breaking down 10 mm-hmm. different companies, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the big one, the one I wanted to touch on the most was player profiler because I think that was like that showed that your growth was so big that it hit that land land uh, landmark to me because like I, mm-hmm. I mean I know I texted you and I think you put a picture on a vlog or something I was like holy cow like what what is this like it's it's huge type thing so kind of give as much details as you want um, sort of how player profiler if people don't know it's a website that stores mainly stores data but it's kind of like you in a sense that it has a YouTube channel, a podcast, marketing stuff here and there. So kind of, if you want to break down that partnership, if you want. Yeah, sure. So yeah, they're, they're a legit brand. And that's one of the things I really admire about player profiler. Uh, Matt had, Matt emailed me one day, um, just like out of the blue. I'd never 
spoken to him or had any conversations with him. And he emailed me and I was like, yo, this is fucking cool. I think this was actually, um, I remember doing a vlog and I remember being back at my mom's house. So I don't remember. It must've been when I was just back there for a week filming Fade the Public or some shit. But this was, yeah, I guess this was like a year ago or so. And he had reached out to me about the upcoming summer. He's like, yeah, I stumbled upon your YouTube channel. I feel like you're like a perfect fit for what we're trying to do here. Let's get on a call and like discuss how we could work together. And Matt is one of like the few podcasters that I, not that I really respect because I respect all the hard work that goes into the industry that we have. But like one of the guys who, when he talks, I, I pay attention to, you know what I mean? Like I, I really enjoy his takes on fantasy. He's made me think about the game in a different way and made me like a better analyst, I think. So when he reached out to me, like, just like you, you know, that's, I was like, yo, this is cool as shit. Like, this is a guy that I really admire. This is a brand that I really admire. So we, we changed emails. Uh, we got on a call and he wanted to do um, just like a typical ad read kind of throughout the course of the season. So we're, we actually have a call. I'm um, getting on a call with Matt tomorrow morning, Thursday, yeah, Friday morning at like 10 or 11 a.m. to discuss the campaign. We're, we're kicking off on July 1st. So he just wanted a very natural ad read or a very natural plug from player profile or some of the advanced analytics because the way he saw my channel was like, I'm a very good bridge gap between the mm -hmm. he put it, the drive-by fantasy player, which is true because I gained a lot of uh, exposure that week or two leading up to season-long drafts uh, into his advanced analytics stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, so he's, he, he thinks he has uh, a little bit of a tough time reaching like the very basic fantasy audience, and he thinks that I can bridge the gap for him in doing so. Um, and it was completely fucking natural, obviously, because way prior to him even reaching out, I had been using Player Profiler in my analysis and plugging it in my videos for like a year or two prior. So that's another perfectly natural fit. And, uh, and we got something on the books, and I'll be doing sponsoring, or he'll be sponsoring my videos from now through the, the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it, it, I think, I mean, like, I know, I think I, I found it through you using it because when I first started watching, I didn't know what half these websites were, what, right. all, where to find numbers and stuff now. Um, and I, I use it here and there too. Um, and I think it's definitely, like I said, a landmark to even grow more because I think this will lead to the next player profiler type uh, ad read, if you will, or affiliate. So definitely, definitely has been huge or will be huge. I guess it hasn't started yet. Uh, for you guys, for sure. Um, it's, it's interesting. To, sorry to cut you off, but it's interesting, like having a, I think this is a testament to Matt too. Like most businesses in our space probably wouldn't want to pay a competitor. You know what I mean? Like sure, yeah. he, he's very forward thinking in how he sees his business operating and throwing money into videos like mine. There's no guarantee of like, we're not doing this on a cost per acquisition basis. Like he's not expecting me to bring in 10 new members each week with my videos. He's just like, I believe what you're doing. I believe it's a good, uh, it's a good gap between what I'm doing and what, where the audience I want to be is. So credit to him for like looking long-term and credit to him for be willing, being willing to advertise within our own space. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of companies would, um, would be like, no, we can't give money to a competitor because it's all already like very competitive within our space trying to get audience and things like that. So. Yeah. And I, I think the competitor thing is good too. Cause I don't want to like compare, compare YouTube channels, but like, I guess from what I remember, I'm pretty sure you're, you're far ahead of him in terms of like your audience on YouTube. And it's just not a thing that he really does in it normally if you're thinking in business you're like well why doesn't he just start his own youtube if he's that big but he's smart enough to like see like you just said that or i can just give him the opportunity to do that for me and i don't have to worry about doing that work so yeah i definitely agree that he i know i know i texted you after and i was like i did not think he was actually this business oriented because he came from a tech startup background or something 
like that that I definitely would not expect just by listening to his podcast and following him on Twitter and stuff is not the the background I would I would peg him for. So yeah, he definitely has done a good job um, with with that for sure. Another sort of sponsor or affiliate, and I'll probably have you break it down, is the Draft Kit. Um, if I remember right, last year it kind of had a sponsor attached to it, but this year it's full on Monkey Knife Fight, and you were uh, tied together in this Draft Kit. So maybe if you want to sort of break down leading up to that, maybe how that kind of plays out if you want. Yeah. Um, I don't think – I'm trying to remember. I don't think we had a sponsor for last year's draft guide. Uh, for Monkey Knife Fight this year, yeah, we, we were working together during the season, the 2019 football season, and they had interest in sponsoring the draft guide. And when they first brought the idea up, which was like right after the season, I had turned it down immediately because I didn't – I actually didn't know what the fuck they meant by sponsoring the draft guide. I thought they meant like – you know, post their images and shit all yeah. over uh, and links all over the draft guide. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I want the draft guide to be like unadulterated and just completely value. You know what I mean? So I turned it down and then we eventually met up in person and uh, the rep there, Zach, explained to me what he actually meant by it. And, um, and, and I actually broke this down in, in this week's Q&A video, I think it was. Basically, the way they wanted to do it was put an incentive behind the audience to sign up for their platform in order to get my draft guide. So there's, there's basically three facets to it. It's the fact that the audience gets to purchase the draft guide for a very cheap amount, right? Like normally we'll sell it for between 30 and $50, but if they go sign up on monkey knife fight and use my promo code, uh, they'll get both of the draft guides, normally a $50 value for 10 bucks. Plus they'll get $20 to play with a monkey knife fight. So really, you know, you, you hear all this shit like, Oh, $70 value for $10. Like it's legitimately a $70 value for $10. So it felt good being able to get that out to the audience. Um, and then my turn, they give me a kickback that is higher than I would normally make from somebody buying the draft guide in itself. So it's a win for the audience. It's a win for me. And then they, clearly know how much a customer is worth to them, right? So this is, again, mm -hmm. a long-term play for them. You're expecting that, you know, let's say just for instance, like the average DraftKings player um, puts in $500 in their account over the course of the year. And I don't even think that's really outrageous for the average DraftKings player because, no. you know, week in and week out, maybe you'll throw 50 in here, you'll throw another 100 in here, whatever. So you're looking at it and saying like, okay, up front, if they want to give me $60 or whatever the number is for each member sign up, you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. But they're making way more, on the back end of it. So it's a win, win, win all around realistically. And I was like, okay, this is a good offer. The, the tough thing has been with a site like monkey knife fight, they have a lot of legal barriers that you kind of have yep. to jump. Like one, you can't be under 18 years old. And not that that was like a big portion of my audience buying the draft guide, but there's no international people. And I was looking back at some of the numbers from the draft guide purchasers last year. And that was, I mean, not, not a huge amount, but I would say probably between like, if I remember correctly, nine and 11% of the purchasers were from like Canada or international. So that wipes out them, that wipes out the 18 year olds. And then it wipes out a huge portion of the people that just aren't eligible to play within the monkey knife fight States. So before you know it, before you know it, um, that wipes out, you know, 35 to 40% of my audience that bought a draft guide last year. So it's been a little bit more difficult because there's a lot of road gaps in between. You know, customers just want to buy the fucking product, right? They don't want to go through the fact that they got to go to another website to do it. And then they got to get an email from me and they also have to play a game in order to activate. It's like, it's a lot, it's, it's good value, but you also have to factor into the value of the, the hurdles to get there along the way. So I honestly was a little bit hesitant. Um, but it was just like the money was good. It's very incentive based as well. So if we do really well, then I'm going to get paid a fuckload of money, which obviously I'm not really going to turn down at this point, but as it scales, it might be a little bit tougher to 
um, continue going down a path where there's a lot of resistance to the, to the customer. Mm -hmm. And is that, I don't know exactly. Was that like the first, um, partner draft guide in the industry? You could say, I'm not really for sure if. No, like so they're, first... they're partnered with a lot of fucking people. Um, I believe they're partnered with player profiler for this. They're partnered with fantasy pros. And I've, I've heard these deals a lot, actually, like this last summer and the summer before that, they're like, yeah, if you sign up for, um, I don't know, like a draft on FFPC, you'll get access to our draft guide or whatever. And I, I never batted an eye at it. I never was like, oh, that's a good idea for us because I was already selling the draft guide for like 40 or $50 a piece. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they're not going to give me more than that. You know what I mean? They're going to give me, maybe they'll match it. And then that just is an extra hurdle for the customer. So it's a net net negative in that sense. Right. But when monkey knife came to me, like the offer was too good financially for me to be like, okay, let's out, let's, let's weigh out the pros and cons here. Um, so yeah, this has been something that's, that's been in the industry for a while. This was the first time anyone has come to me about sponsoring the draft guide and it's the first time I've personally done it. Mm -hmm. And if anyone listening in Iowa, uh, we, we cannot play monkey knife fight. So there's the, the, exactly. the negative there for sure. All and we just got, play. we just got sponsored by draft, not sponsored by draft. There's a drafter link and I can't even, I can't even play it or anything. So I just have to sit on the zoom call on the other end and watch uh, them draft or we do a video or something. So yeah, well, hopefully they, I don't know when they're going to fix that. I don't even really care that much to, understand when they're going to fix that um at tough, all yeah the tough thing is like it, it it's nothing they can really do it's like the law and you want to talk about businesses moving slow in marketing i mean it's the fucking government like ruling the country like how slow are they going to move with this stuff and i had uh the uh, the guy alex who is co-owner of the ffpc who runs like paid leagues on his website on and he was talking to me about how how expensive it is to just like, I, I was looking at it as like a video game thing. He's like, oh, to unlock a new state, you have to pay all these regulations mm -hmm. and taxes and things like that. I'm like, it's a crazy, crazy industry. I couldn't imagine fucking wanting to run like a paid service for fantasy yeah. in there. So just so many hurdles to get through. Yeah, it would, it would not, yeah, not be good. Um, so keeping on the topic of right now with the, with the brand. So you moved into the new, uh, the new HQ, the big HQ. Um, so if anyone watched those videos, uh, three parts, I guess, your bedroom and then the, the, middle HQ, if you want to call it that. And then obviously the new one. Um, so, so obviously the new HQ was planned on being not just you on the inside. And then the world started to end in the spring and we'll, so we'll see how that goes, but, um, we can kind of talk about the big plans that you had. So I think the starting of sort of your hiring, we can say was, um, on Twitter, it's Mike me up, but Mike, Mike Lou, Liu, uh, you probably know it better than I do, but Michael Lou, yeah, yeah, he, you kind be. of hired him, I guess you could say, and um, you've known him prior to that, obviously, but then you kind of broke it down even more, and you had interns you put out there, and I, there was a lot of traction. A couple of guys we do podcasts with were like, you should ask him when he's going to release him. You should ask when he's going to release him. So there was definitely a lot of traction on that, um, and then now you kind of like just now you kind of have three brands you could say inside your one brand, so we can start. Uh, back with Mike, um, and you can you can praise him up if you want. Kind of how that uh, hiring started. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the tough things to figure out in our space is since we're so seasonal, like what are you going to do in the off season? Um, and it feels like we've been fucking hand gifted this whole dynasty thing. You know what I mean? Like this is mm -hmm. a way for us to continue to keep people engaged, continue to. Uh, get invested into our brand and continue to long game, you know, purchase whatever products or services we put out as a business. So this seemed like it was like, okay, we can't, we can't just not attack dynasty, you know, at, at a very, very high rate. Um, so I was like this off season, let's fucking get uh, Noah on camera. Let's get Mike on camera. And Mike was 
Um, Mike was a very early subscriber of mine on YouTube and he was always in the comment section. And then when I opened up the, the live draft weekends in New York, uh, he was there for the first one and then he came again for the second one. And we just became friends. Like we, we developed a friendship through that. And uh, we met up in uh, New Orleans for the NCAA championship game last year with me, him and Snacks. And we developed a friendship and we had played. He was in the first ever dynasty league that I actually played in. I started between my subscribers. He was in it and he just fucking ran train on everybody. He's currently the two-time defending champ, probably going for the third time this year. And uh, he knew way more about dynasty than I did at the time. And I was like, I need to, I need to learn more about dynasty because I don't feel comfortable like preaching it to my audience when I've never played it. And if I have played it, I wasn't good at it. But Mike, on the other hand, super fucking analytical, big math guy, understands the stocks and markets and all that kind of shit, right? And I was like, and I've also seen him be good at the sport. I've, I've seen him be good in dynasty football. So I was like, yo, like you're passionate about this. And he started growing his own following on Twitter before I even brought him on. I think he got up to like two or 3,000 followers on Twitter. And I was like, yo, just come on the videos with us and let me help you grow your brand. And you could do like the dynasty content here and be known as like, you know, kind of like an expert in the realm uh, on that side of things. So I put them two together and I realized that like, I'm not going to be able to do five long form videos a week. So, um, this was a way that they, I, I can put this on their plate and not have to worry about all the bullshit that goes on behind the scenes. Right. Because all that stuff adds up the video editing, the YouTube thumbnails, the descriptions in the videos, putting it on a podcast, whatever, um, all that stuff adds up. And this was a way for me to continue to get a really good piece of long form content out but not put that other shit back on the plate. So they just kind of tell me time and place, what's the content topic. And I'm usually ready to go from my prep from other videos and things like that. So Mike came on as a dynasty guy. Um, and he's been, you know, they're like 20 or 20 something episodes in. And um, what else, what else were we touching on here? Uh, the, the interns next, but they, they started, well, you started, or they started a branch of the big dogs channel in their own channel, which is bunk bed breakdowns. Um, so that like just started so that we don't really know the, the context of that is if you go on there, there's not going to be a bunch of 20 videos. So don't expect 20 videos right now. If you go on their, their YouTube channel. Um, yeah, I think the thing with him is, and I think it's good for the brand and like it really, he was a good fit. I think people respect him. I think that's, that's the main thing. I think that you see that. Um, I mean, cause anyone can say anything on Twitter and I, I like Twitter, but I also hate Twitter because it's a bunch of random crap all the time. But I think you see, when people really know what they're talking about, when people have the experience, when people like actually take the time to not just respond to a bunch of tweets and vote on a bunch of polls and all this stuff, but like actually put out stuff that people care about. And I definitely think that he, he did before. And then I think even more so now that he knows that people care about his work, you can definitely see that he's taking it a lot more serious. Um, and then him and Noah, I think are a good pairing, uh, just for the just for the show in general, but in, I think in reality they could do any type of show they wanted to. I think it's definitely a good parent. Um, and then now they have their own channel, which um, so you said they're going to be posting more than the one a week. Uh, is it going to be like a five time a week thing, or kind of how is that going to work? Uh, it's going to be up to them. They're going to take that as far as they want to go. Uh, it's still very much under the big dogs umbrella, of course. But what I wanted to do was open up like more flexibility for what they would like to put out um, because I don't want, there are things that I want on my channel because at the end of the day, it's my channel and it's my brand. And I'm like, okay, I can sit here, acknowledge and realize that you're really good at doing this. Doesn't make me want to put it on my channel anymore. And in that sense, that's holding them back, right? Like I don't want to be the person that holds them back from eventually doing what they want to do. So I was like, this is a way for you to continue one helping big dogs build, but you guys work really fucking hard. So I think it's worth 
you having your creative flexibility. Like they, if they want to put out fucking 10 long form videos a week, they, they don't have to come through me. That's, that's the real, that's the thing. Like I'm no longer the, the weak link in their content production game. Like they don't have to be like, Nick, can we post this? Because they did a lot of like really good one-off rookie videos by themselves this summer that I didn't even ask them to do. And they're like, can we post on YouTube? And I'm like, honestly, like, no, I don't want that on YouTube because I don't mm. want 200 videos a week going out and no one's going to have any idea what the fuck's going on with my channel anymore. Like I, I know the vision that I want for my brand. And this is a way where they can put whatever they want on their channel. Right. And it's going to be good content. I try like with Mike, like, you know, he's someone that I actually trust with. The, I don't find many dudes that I'm like, okay, like, cool. You play fantasy. You're serious about it. But like, anyone could just be a writer like Mike. I actually trust with his opinion. So that's why I'm like, I don't really care if the audience knows whether or not Mike knows his stuff, because I know long-term that's going to work itself out. Cause he does know his shit. I, I totally agree. I think that, and I don't want to say the track record of his wins proves it, but I think the mentioning of, of his track records, animal says it. Animal's always mad that he takes his guy and drafts and snacks up snack. I think it is people admit it. And I think they know, uh, for sure that he is solid. Um, we can lead into the interns now. So the, I mean, I'll just let you break it down. So you opened up two intern or three intern positions, not for sure. Kind of what was the idea behind that? So we wanted to probably bring on one intern. It turned it, it's actually been a fucking, a lot of craziness over the last month or two with the interns. Uh, I originally wanted someone that can just do a lot of like extra help on the side, but more importantly, like capture what was going on with the brand here. Someone who was going to have a fucking camera in hand at all times to capture the shit that I don't, I just like, I'm not going to capture or the stuff that like snacks is not going to pick up a fucking camera and start videotaping stuff. Right. So I wanted someone that just has good feel for being able to capture the personality of a brand. When I opened up the applications, I got a lot of like good people applying for it. Um, and like, it, it, it got to the point where when we narrowed it down, I was like, oh, we could probably use this person and probably use this person. And we had a third intern who wasn't even through the application process, but a friend of mine introduced me to him and he's young, he's your age, but he's really fucking good at video work. And I was like, oh, like I could definitely use him. He's like, he's not Scott level, but he's like, give him five years and he probably will be there. So I was like, okay, might as well work with this kid now. So it got to him and then it was, it was uh, Luca and it was Jack. And then all the shit broke loose where Corona like wouldn't let anyone come to the headquarters. And uh, it, it just got messy because I, I imagined the summer being like everyone here, we're documenting, we're creating. And then it put like a tough, uh, something tough in the middle of that where it's like even like snacks and animal, you know, they're here, they come now. But like for that month and a half period, it's like they couldn't use public transportation. They weren't going to drive in here because it was so like something you just didn't do at the time, which threw a wrench into the interns. And now I'm like, if we can't really like do up the way we were going to do the headquarters at our, in terms of our own core BDGE team, then maybe there's not a use of the interns altogether. You know what I mean? Like I, I expected to ramp this up really quickly and then a wrench got thrown into the plan. So uh, Jack won't be coming for the summer. He ended up moving back from Clemson up to like New Hampshire and things just got in the way with the Corona and um, you know, plans got fucked up. Luca is in New Jersey right now. He is, he started an internship with, with FanDuel so he could still like work with us, but I'm just like, the schedule is kind of fucked up. And I'm just like, if people aren't here, I don't really know how I'm going to use you in a sense, you know, cause the, at the very core is like the, the purpose was to have someone videotaping and recording. And then I saw their talents and I was like, Oh, we could probably use, I probably got ahead of myself to be honest. Like we could probably use you for this, use you for this, but we probably didn't need like full-time interns doing half the shit that he did and half the shit that he did. Does that make any sense? 
Yeah, I think it does. I think it's just a very, it, it was, I think it's tough to, because it's an industry where like interns really aren't a thing. Like they're not like, you don't think I'm a fantasy football intern or whatever, whatever the case may be. So it's hard to like narrow down exactly what they could do. Because in reality, most of it is just you putting out the videos edit Scott editing the videos, but it's really just like your channel. So yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think it was good. Obviously, Corona, Corona pending, but I think that it was all lining up to just help the growth. But obviously now, um, not that you're not going to grow, but it's just obviously not going to happen probably the way that you wanted it to. But still, I think it showed, um, I think it just showed viewers that like you were, you were wanting to, I don't want to say be more involved, but you were just wanting to be more creative with it and open up new opportunities. Um, and I know we can kind of lead into this next. You had ideas in your past vlogs about opening up a a creation studio of some sort or a marketing creation studio. Right. Um, is that might be on the back burner type thing, or is that still kind of a plan that you have uh, you want to do soon? Or how is maybe if that's not even a plan? Like it's not a plan anymore. But kind of, what are your thoughts on that now? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really the beta version of that. This is like the first try of that. But I think the important thing here is like, yeah, like, so I want to open up a creative space and I want to open up a place where people can come, you know, a lot of people can come and they can work on whatever it is that they're working on, whether it's video or podcasts or writing or artwork or whatever the fuck you want to do. I want to provide a space for people to do that and like feel comfortable doing that. Um, in terms of like plans and goals, I... I, I'm not going to put a timetable on it because something like that, I feel like needs to happen extremely naturally. Like I can't just be like, okay, like the fucking creative studio is open and you know, it, it just needs to be something that I know I can't push and I can't rush. It needs to happen. Right. You know, if I had to put a realistic timetable on it, it probably won't happen for like a seven to 10 years, but that's like what I imagine happening, you know, when I'm older and when I'm starting to pivot off of whatever we're doing now, like fantasy football stuff. So the creative space is absolutely still like my long-term end game goal. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, very, very far off. And it's not something that I'm going to be like actively pushing in terms of invest. I imagine everything we're doing here will like naturally push itself mm -hmm. to become what the studio is one day, you know? Yeah, I, I think that like it'll just naturally go. I think that's just kind of the way that you think um, in terms of marketing, in terms of the way you approach, I'm just going to say content, but really anything in general. I think it'll definitely just eventually reach that. Um, before we move on to even more in the future, we didn't even mention snacks and animals. So snacks and animal, um, animals on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, animals on the uh, show last year and then snacks will be on um, tomorrow and Wednesday when you're listening to this. Um, we're just doing some football talk in general, but they are a part of the big dogs. Maybe they're just like friends of the big dogs. I don't, I don't really know the dynamic, um, but they are on fade the public a uh, year, year and a half of fade the public, maybe two years. I'm not for sure when you started it again. Uh, yeah. Two years. I think I don't know. When did started at the end of, uh, at the end of not this previous football season, but the season before that we started like week 11, I want to say just randomly like jumped into it week 11 of the NFL season 2018, so whenever that was, uh, we've done one episode a week for that, the entirety of then till up until now. And that, um, it, you can break it down. It's like, it's basically a, for, well, I mean, it started as a recap of your, your big money league, your home league that you guys are in. And it's evolved into that, obviously, and kind of, I don't know, that's more, I don't want to Let me ask you, let me ask yeah. you this. What, when you think of Fade the Public, like what, um, if you had to describe it to somebody or your friends or somebody, like, how would you put it? 
Yeah, that that's that that was what I was. That's a tough. I think to me, and I don't want to like compare it to anything, but I think of like Barstool. I think of ESPN in a way that it's like a just a show because it's obviously about fantasy, but in reality, like probably the 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 pie of percentages of how much fantasy you actually talk in it is probably 50 50 compared to whatever else the the topic is and i think that's definitely a good thing i think it's definitely that's definitely attracted an audience separate of your fantasy audience and i think it's meshed it together um and max and animal now are their own like people refer to them as max and animal or max and animal animal and snacks and those aren't even like their names so like i definitely think that i guess i would say barstool but i don't even know if that's like a comparison to it um i I said fun, but I don't know that it's just a different, it's a different creative aspect of fantasy, maybe a way to look at it. Um, and you guys have done game shows, you've done different segments in it. Um, just stuff like that. So I don't, if that's a good answer, I don't even know really. Well, what I do you ha- think if you had to? I, yeah, I ask because we don't know. And it's a, it's a, it's a problem that we're facing right now. And we filmed on Tuesday of this week. So two days ago and after the episode, like, I don't want to say I exploded, but I was like, yo, like what we're doing right now. I love the last two episodes we did with the dynasty startup. I thought those were really fun and really good. But after this week's episode, I, it just did it wasn't it. it. It just wasn't, I didn't feel good about it. And I've walked out of those filmings enough times to know when things are going in the right direction and when they're not. So we like sat down and talked about where we want to go with the future of this because we're not bunk bed breakdowns where you don't come to us for like the most in-depth fantasy stuff. And when we started, uh, animal had this picture of like a part in my take type podcast where it was us three just like talking about very over general topics of in sports. And I was like, we're not going to do that because we're not going to be able to compete with like, not obviously we weren't ever thinking of competing with part of my take, but like, players who do just sports topics I just I'm like that's not us I don't feel like that's us I want to I want to build off of fantasy football because we're already in that space and we can make it fun but what you realize quickly is that the people that consume fantasy content they're so programmed to want to consume it for information you know what I mean and like myself if I'm listening to a podcast and it's just like three dudes fucking around I have zero fucking interest in it, right? So we're thinking about like, okay, we're not going to be the guys who give the best fantasy football stuff. I originally was like, yo, we can make our home league into almost like a reality show, but that just didn't pan out because we, we weren't with the other guys uh, for enough time. We didn't have the cameras always on rolling and shit like that. So then a couple of weeks ago when we, first, we had, did our first filming here, we were like, okay, why don't we actually pivot more towards like the dynasty league that we're doing where the audience knows like the own, the, the personal brands of people within the league, like myself, animal snacks, Scott, Mike, Noah, like people in big dogs, like know those dudes. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty, that's kind of what I imagined our E-Town get down thing eventually becoming like people knew our friends from our home money league that just didn't turn out. So we were like, okay, that's not what we're going to be doing. And we're, you know, a year and a half, two years into this, and we're still trying to figure out what direction we want to go. So this week after we filmed, I was like, dude, we did like a regular mock draft and I was like, dude, that's just so not us. That, that type of content is too bland for us to really get into. I was like, yo, let's like we, people like us for hopefully people like the show for our personality and just like the friendship that we fucking yell, yell about at each other. So I was like, okay, maybe we do step back and maybe we go back to what Max was alluding to animals alluding to in the very beginning of being a more general sports topic. Because a lot of the times when we do fantasy videos, I felt like I was putting 
a lot of energy into it. Like I needed to be the entire show in a sense, if we wanted to give off information to be the value prop. Whereas like with bunk bed breakdowns, if I need to take a show off, like I have no doubt that no one Mike are going to handle their fucking business. And if I'm on the show, like I could take a step back and like sit back in my seat. And I know that they're going to come up with a bunch of really good fucking facts with animal and And this is something as a business owner, I've been trying to figure out as we go on, like, what is, what ticks animal and snacks? Like what gets them going? Where, where do I need to move the needle in order to feel the same way I do with bunk bed? And it's, it's stuff outside, not outside of fantasy. Like we'll get into that when it's really natural, but we're not going to force fantasy content anymore. Cause that's not us. So we are going to take a step back and look at it from a more overhead view. Now that we've built an audience, I think people within the audience like the personalities more than they like the fantasy stuff. So I'm like animal snacks, you guys throughout the course of the week, think of like two or three cool things, cool trending topics that are at the, at the top of sports or whatever the fuck you want to talk about. That's what we'll go on because that's where you guys are in your fucking zone, you know? Yeah. And I think like the one that animal came on the, the, it was about the start of it was like what the NFL is going to look like. And then there's this Broncos talk, obviously, but like, I could tell that that's what he really likes. Obviously. I mean, like everyone likes fantasy, right? Like it's not, it's not something that like, Oh, I hate fantasy because I like football. Like that's not a thing. People that like football play fantasy. But I think I could just tell with him that like he really enjoyed that, and he probably wished we could have gone longer. And he even after, right right after we recorded, he was like, "We need to do this again." I remember I, he texted he texted afterwards. He was like, "Yeah, I really like Lucas. Like that was a really fun show." And even like Snacks was like, "We should do the 2018 draft, like stuff like that." And I'm like, "Sure, like that's like the stuff I love too." Like I don't want to yeah. say I don't like fantasy, but like I like I'm a very numbers based. I mean, I'm a business analytics major. So I'm a very numbers based, research based. That's what I like. I like finding patterns and trends. I don't like telling you who to sit and start and that's kind of like why I wanted to start something like this like you did with yours and I think you kind of saw that last year because you had so many outlets with Mike with Noah with Animal Snacks like you just had the opportunity to do that so personally I don't know if you need to figure out what Fade the Public is because I think that's a show where really only your audience is going to watch that and it's not like something that like someone's going to click on and be like oh I only want to watch this versus the rest of your videos exactly that's what I was saying like listen if we're going to if, if, if it's just going to be our core audience watching this, like we're not bringing people in via SEO to watch fade the public, we might as well do the shit that we're best at. And it's not mm-hmm. fantasy. So I, maybe it was a, a lot of me being like, not, not being in control. Like if we start talking about other topics, I was literally like, yo, bring up topics that I don't know about. So you guys mm-hmm. can like head the conversation. And then you guys, while we're on air, like explain it to me like a fucking five-year-old, I'll come up with thoughts like on the rip and we'll go off of that because I think audiences would like that too. Like very basic topics that they're really in tune with, you know what I mean? So that we can work off each other and me not being like, so on top of their shit and me not being like, this is what we're going to do. I need to make sure that I'm bringing the most value. Like that was something I needed to kind of take a step back with and being like, no, like if we're going to do it the same way where I give you guys your own leverage or creative flexibility, then I need to go all in and, and let you guys do that. Otherwise, like there's going to be some, some invisible, like, you know, shield there that's, that's forcing us from being like the best that we can. Yeah, I think I think you or they or you, whatever the idea came from for Bagels and Locks, it was a branch of that. It was kind of maybe what you were trying to do, but like that was that you, was one hundred percent them. I told them like, just sorry to cut you off again, but they were like, "Yo, we want to do this show, this Bagels and Locks show," and I was like, "Listen, do whatever the fuck you want to do. I I will not be putting an ounce of work in. You guys are more than more than okay taking my fucking YouTube audience and putting it out there to them, but I will not be." uploading it for you. I will not be recording it for you. I will not be editing it for you. So that's absolutely 
props and credit to them. That's them in their zone. I was like, yo, do that shit. It is fucking, I legitimately watched the first time and I was like cracking the fuck up. I was yeah. like, I didn't even know like we were capable of making some type of content mm-hmm. like this, but that shit is hilarious, hilarious and completely on their own. And that's why we kind of, um, well, probably, I don't know if we're going to get into this, but that's why I wanted to split up the, the YouTube channels and stuff and give Fade the Public their own thing too because they have a lot of ideas like that and Animal always has these ideas where I'm just like, I, no offense, but I don't want to put a fucking video of you talking about the Broncos for five minutes on my channel. So this gives them the creative flexibility to do shit like that. Yeah, and I think like for me personally, I, I could care less what they said about the teams. I, I, I care less the actual analysis behind it. It was just, mm-hmm. it was exciting to watch. I think people, like, I mean, there was engagement with people sending in picks, um, people not listening. It was a, or not, doesn't know what it is. It was a sports betting, NFL betting show. They would just give picks, but it was more so about the rivalry they had going on. The them just literally yelling at each other like you're stupid the whole time. And like it was, it was just yeah. I think it was definitely what they needed to do because I think, um, I mean, I don't want to count Twitter followers as like their fan base, but like you saw, they're tweeting now more. They're actually like engaging with people, and I think that was definitely something that obviously fade the public help but i think once they did that like that was a whole separate thing um and yeah tying that into bunk bed breakdowns and fade the public i think that's something that should come out of making different channels and tying in direct fan because some people might only watch the bunk bed breakdowns on your show so now exactly. they might feel better if they have a direct access to bunk bed breakdowns youtube channel and not nick Urcolano's youtube channel and have to not go through you but it just a different feeling i think for people when they when they have that direct correlation so i definitely think that was good for them and we'll see where it takes them. I, I'll have to send you the clip after this. I me and I mentioned it in snacks yesterday and he did, he had a clip just calling out animals. So I was going to clip it and send it to Scott for videos. It was, it was hilarious. Definitely uh, snacks in his prime for sure. Yeah. The, the other thing too is like, um, I, I don't want this to come off in a wrong way. Cause I, I, you know, I, I put this upon them is like, they are, they are riding on the fact that they were a part of my YouTube channel, right? Their growth, doesn't come without being on my thing. So this is almost like when your parents kick you out of the house and they're like, you got to, you got to figure it out, right? You got to be financially secure on your own. We're not going to help you take care of you anymore is what I'm, is what I'm hoping to eventually push towards in the future. So giving them their own channel and stuff, it's cool, but it also means that you're going to have to work a lot harder if you want to, you know, do these types of things. Like it's not, you're not going to get Uh, 35,000 subscribers because I have them like you are going to get a very small fraction of it and you're only going to build up your own shit if you put the work behind it so it's it's a little bit of a learning lesson for them but I'm sure they'll pick it up quickly yeah I hope so too because they definitely I don't want to say deserve to have their own channel but they definitely deserve to want to put in that work to to grow right right they they deserve the chance to to at least you know attempt to have the opportunity Yeah, Yeah, yeah for sure so we can we can go into the, the, the future of big dogs, if you will. We already talked about the creative studio, kind of the plan with the other um, channels. So besides losing to me in the staff league, <laughs> what else is in plan for, for the big dogs? Um, you got the bar stools in the background. Uh, it was a huge move for you on, I think, Instagram. I saw it or something. But b- besides that, really, because obviously stuff changed in the matter of a week for the whole world. So is there... Was there kind of a redirect of a strategy maybe or kind of how did you have to modify if you did modify the plan for this upcoming season? Um, still kind of ongoing. Uh, the, the chairs are fucking beautiful. You'll see them in our Fade the Public episode, which comes out tomorrow or whenever you put this out. It comes out the Friday. Yeah, so we use, them, uh, we use them for the first time. They're comfortable and they're fun and they're 
fucking awesome. But the, that's about the extent of the plans that we have. Uh, I, I think we're in a, it's a really tough spot. I, I'm not sure how this will play itself out given the state of, I like legit still think like we're about to see a huge spike back up in COVID in New York because I've seen what's going on around my apartment and it's just a million people outside acting like it's, you know, COVID is gone. So I'm also kind of planning for that to happen. So it might be a year of just like working on really good content again and not being able to put the headquarters into use, which is a huge fucking L for us because it's a lot of money that I've invested into this. And maybe this makes me look at it a little differently. Maybe like, you know, I could have legitimately fucking hired a full-time editor probably rather than having this studio. Um, so the economy, like, although we probably will grow and, and still make good money this year, like the economy has affected everybody, you know, in one way or another, it's not like right out putting me out of business or anything, but it trickles into, into everything. So it's without understanding where the economy is going to be over the next couple of months, it's, it's a little tough to plan, but I know for sure I will be planning on the side of, of caution and I will, I will stop fucking ordering DoorDash like four nights a week. I will stop doing a lot of things where money kind of goes to waste. And that was not the way I looked at it when I first moved in here. So things have gotten uh, a little bit hectic. I think it was probably like a wake up call for me, probably a little bit of a lesson learned. And I think over the long term, it'll be good um, as, a, as a financial lesson to myself. So we're going to continue to put out the best content we possibly can um, and, and kind of see where it goes from there. Yeah, I, I think in, in reality, I think the way I look at it is like it, everyone, like you just said, everyone is affected by it. Obviously it's not, not every fantasy analyst moved into a new HQ in terms of collaborating, but it, but it, they had something happen to them. And so did some of the other persons. So I definitely think, yes, it will hurt. But I think, I think it will definitely, I don't want to say even itself out, but I think the audience, your audience sees that the work you put in the, the 19 million tabs that you put on your Twitter or something this morning, like Debo Samuel thing. I was like, Jesus, I can't even keep, like I had like three open at a time and I could not do that. Uh, I didn't even realize, I didn't know I even had tabs in the video to be honest. Or I, I don't even know. I, I saw one a picture of video, but yeah, it's, I think people, people definitely see uh, the, 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 the uniqueness of the content in itself and then the hard work that's put into it um, for sure. That, that's about all I have, unless you have any